0: I'm Zirin Garaghi and you're listening to The Laughs of Your Life, the podcast where I talk to influential people about laughter. From their first memories of laughter, to feeling laughed at, to if laughter wasn't the best medicine, what would be?
1: I'm not foolish enough to chase happiness, you know, I don't want to be happy. Happy is transient and as the fella said, you don't know you're happy unless you've been sad. But contentment, it's kind of when things are kind of okay and, you know, you're not riddled with guilt about having done someone over and shouldn't have...
0: Actor and humanitarian Liam Cunningham is my guest this week. He talks to me about growing up in North Wall in Dublin, doing lockdown in a house with his wife and three adult children and being swamped by Game of Thrones fans while shopping for boxers. From big laughs to big wins, this season of the Laughs of Your Life podcast is brought to you by TK Maxx. Whether it's huge, cosy jumpers for chilly evenings or mini speakers to play your favourite tunes, there's big wins for everyone at TK Maxx. Speaking of chilly evenings, that's my favourite time of year and my favourite time to dress for. Like, I do appreciate this extension of summer we're getting this week, but I kind of want it to go away so I can get big, cosy jumpers and coats and leggings and boots they're the things i love and when you go through the doors of tk maxx you might go in for those things and come out with an array of other things like mini speakers or candles or jewelry or throws for your couch whatever it is the range in tk maxx is amazing it's why we love it now ridiculously good quality for less at tk maxx and feel like you're totally winning at life and now for my chat with liam cunningham i hope you enjoy Liam Cunningham, you are extremely welcome to The Laughs of Your Life.
1: Oh, yeah, I know. It's a bit of an ominous um, uh, title, Last of My Life. It's like the last five minutes of my life. The Last uh, the last of Life.
0: Hang you on. You know what I mean? No, Liam, it's The Laughs of Your Life.
1: Oh, oh yeah. I, t- I See, I, I t- somebody needs to teach me how to read it. The <laughs>, laughs of Life. I know, I didn't read the head. I'm a terrible man for not reading the head- I tend to go to the body of the question. So I can get over whatever last, PR thing.
0: The last of your life sounds like the most depressing podcast possible. So I, it's, it's not yeah. that. It's going
1: to be good fun. Oh, thank God for that.
0: <laughs> okay, Liam, where in the world are you before we get started?
1: I'm in beautiful. I'm, I'm actually just looking out at my the gated community of Hollywood that I live in overlooking the little people in Los Angeles. I'm not. I'm in Dublin. <laughs> I've just had to be doing my shopping and I've come home. Living the unglamorous life of an out of work actor.
0: Well, actually, I have, I'm, I go to the same gym as you. Now, I wouldn't be as diligent as you are. Um, I, I yeah. reckon you're there probably. Well, when,
1: well we can't anymore. We have to wait yeah. for them to open up.
0: Of course. But generally, yeah, when, yeah. when they are open, you yeah. will be, I, I feel like you're there probably a lot more than I am because you're usually prepping for roles and doing your A-lister thing. Whereas I like, rock <laughs> in, I, I rock in like once every three months. I'm like, Jesus, yeah. that's
1: yeah, I do. I do. Yeah, I have to keep it going. And my mate Paul Bourne, who's a fantastic personal trainer, I've known him since he was one years old. His mum and my mum are old mates. We we grew up about ten doors from each other. Stop, so I've didn't known him for. Realise that. Yeah, yeah, we're all yeah. We grew up together, and, and, uh, on on just on on our little little uh, cul de sac thing. Yeah,
0: he truly is the best in the biz himself. Yes, he is.
1: he's brilliant. He's very very clever guy. Very clever.
0: Okay, let's start with our laughs. Liam Cunningham, your
1: yeah.
0: your first memory of laughter.
1: Well, it's probably like a lot of Dubliners. I do remember, and, and being the age that I am, and when I was younger, which, which was about 127 years ago, <laughs> uh, I do remember, and it, I was reminded by this awful picture of, of myself with the family um, at Dublin Zoo. And I think, as far as I can remember, it was the chimpanzees jumping around and swinging from rope to rope, and me finding that absolutely extraordinarily entertaining and funny, and I remember laughing at that. I think, you know, I think mummies and daddies and, and same-sex partners who've got their little kids with them, they're, one of the first stops you can ever do is probably to the zoo, and, you know, that's, even that's quite controversial, because a lot, a lot of people think zoos are very controversial. But, to see animals for the first time when you're a kid brings enormous amount of joy. And uh, and I think that would probably be the earliest memory, even though it's slightly vague, that uh, I can remember of laughing, laughing at the monkeys in the zoo.
0: There were five kids in your family, am I right?
1: Correct. I have three sisters and a brother.
0: And where yep. do you come in that order?
1: Oh, I'm golden boy. I'm the eldest. I can do no wrong. I could murder entire cities and my mother would say, Well, there must have been something up with him. He wouldn't have done that normally. She'd have defended me to the hills. I can do no wrong. Golden boy.
0: Really? And it's always been that yep. way.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think it's generally, isn't it, with the Irish mammy? The first the firstborn is the is the is the golden child.
0: Was it East Wall you grew up in or did
1: you move? Yeah, kind of north, north wall, yeah. I grew up in um uh, my mum was Sheriff's uh, Sheriff Street Flats. And then I kind of grew up just over near Johnny Cullen's Hill, as we used to call it. Um, yeah, just uh, just kind of just, North Wall East Wall. Yeah, there was a, just one bridge. You could travel stone from Northwall Wall into East Wall, and that's where I grew up. Yeah. And how? Uh, it well, at- until I was until I was about uh, only about eight uh, about eight yeah about eight years old, and I, I moved out to the dizzy heights of Coolock. <laughs>
0: And so, what are your? Do you have fond memories of being out in the road and that typical Irish childhood of whatever games you were playing? You were allowed to do whatever the hell you wanted, or or was that the kind of house you were in?
1: Well, you were thrown out like most children. You were thrown out in the morning. You had your breakfast, get out, You said, come back when it's dark. You were left. We were feral, and Uh uh, and uh, you know, I made made a couple of mates when I got out there. uh, Just when I arrived, like in about ten minutes, as people in Killik would do to come down and suss you out but but the, 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 when I grew up in Coolock this was the late 60s when I got out there I think it was 69 or something we moved out from a very small house in the North Wall to a McInerney built corporation house. Um, the boys in government at the minute could take a look at what happened in the 60s and all the social housing that was being built and solid gorgeous house. My mum was still in the house um, and for a, very, for a reasonable amount of rent every week um, um, people could have somewhere that, that would give them and their families a bit of dignity, which is what we most definitely need at the moment. And uh, and I think the boys, the grown-ups in uh, in Kildare Street need to need to look at the plan because it's, it was a wonderful plan that gave gave me and for hundreds of thousands of, of young people who hadn't got you know families who hadn't got much money uh, an opportunity to to have somewhere. Uh, dignified uh, with roots over their heads. So, and not only that, but in Coolock, it was ha- the estate was half built. So it was basically um, this housing, huge housing estate, was our playground. So we just spent me and my mates would spend our time in uh, in just recently built the shells of houses and stuff, and hide and seek, and running, and pretending we had guns and cowboys and Indians. So I had, and, and then at, on, at the back of my house. There was a convent that they used to grow wheat and all that sort of thing. So, I fell from the inside of of the inner city of Dublin. Who uh, was able to f- to play in fields of wheat uh, in in Coolock, which was almost the countryside when I was very very young, it was a, a complete mind blowing joy for me. It's I I we we'd never had, we didn't have much. I'm not before Yorkshireman here from Monty Python, but we didn't have much money growing up. But I had the most incredible, happy, uh, fulfilling, loving childhood without, without much cash. Um, and, and it was glorious. I'd recommend it to everyone.
0: Okay, Liam. The first time you felt laughed
1: at, can you recall? <sighs> oh, another another one. I I, I was I remember being with my mum and like I told you, my head is like Swiss cheese at the moment with memories disappearing. This is what happens <laughs> when you're so close to death. Um, <laughs> And I remember walking on Sheriff Street, and there was a shop there called Matty's, you know, as in short for Matthew, uh, Matty's shop. And I remember my mum introducing me, and I think I I vaguely remember a pram being with us. One of my sisters would have been in the pram, Uh, so I could have been about six or something like that. And I I remember being introduced, and I uh, and I remember being laughed at when I called. I said uh, when he he was introduced, I said, "Hello, nice to meet you, Mr. Matty." Uh, I was a kid and I thought that was his name, Mr Matty. He was introduced <laughs> as Matty. Uh, and I remember looking up and my mum and the shopkeeper laughing. And I didn't know what they were laughing at. And I, I remember being embarrassed uh, because I felt like an idiot and they were laughing at me. I remember that. I remember the humiliation. It's, that's basically what turned me into a serial killer. And, I, and, and It's those those moments. No, I remember that. I remember being, yeah, I remember being, being embarrassed about that and and it being a very strange feeling.
0: What kind of a kid slash teenager were you? Were you like good crack in the classroom or were you allergic to school? Did you prefer to just do your own thing or were you, did you love being around people? What were you like?
1: Uh, I was uh, occasionally a victim with the socioeconomic bracket that I found myself in. Uh, and it didn't help that uh, they'd skip me. I showed a bit of promise in primary school, and for some reason, they skipped the class with me and sent me a class ahead, which just you should never do. Um, and uh, not only that, I was a really puberty arrived me really late. I was a really late developer. So I was small. I know I look like a half a bear here or something with the beard and everything. <laughs> uh, I look at, like I've been hirsute since I was nine, but I wasn't. I was really, really late, late developer. So I was small they'd skipped me a class. So it was basically like, you know, a kid arriving in, in, in a, in a class. So there was a bit of bullying because they always pick on the, the weak, of course, and the small. So I was a bit of a joker, especially when I kind of got to to secondary school, uh, because it was a case of survival. Um, And, you know, it's the old cliff. It may have well have had something to do with my transition into this weird job that I do now. Um, uh, so I was kind of class clown it was kind of you know it, I'm, I'm a bit of a cliche uh, um, but uh, yeah but class clown became an act of survival so um, so you kind of develop and, you know you're able to read people quite well because the straightness of your nose depended on it um, so uh, so yeah yeah. so I, I mean at had a good time there was good, good guys I used to hang around with and there was a few guys who used to give a wide berth to I don't know whatever happened to them in their youth but they were very sad and, and, and violent The guys. God loved them. I don't know what was happening to them at home that made them want to do that. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so we invited them. Had a bit of a laugh. I didn't, I didn't mind school. I didn't like homework. I hated doing my homework on the bus going in in the morning because <laughs> uh, we're too lazy to do it the night before. Uh, I always hated that. That was always quite stressful. But, uh, but no, I'm pre- I'd pre- I'd pretty good. I can't really complain. I'm lovely gorgeous people who love me and, and, and mates in school and all did that did you leave yeah, school all right. no it does say in Wikipedia I, I dropped out of school when I was 15 there's so <laughs> many there's so many mistakes I went to college I went to Kevin Street and all that sort of thing I make it I leave it up on Wikipedia because it makes me look hard
0: Actually, because I saw it on Wikipedia and then I was like, OK, I'm going to double check this. And I actually double checked it somewhere else and it said it again. So I was like,
1: "No, be- crap. Listen, don't believe just cause it. Just because Yeah, it's on the Internet, it must be true. Please. I, know, I look I'm at sorry. it I, I, No, I, I didn't. I, I, can't I, can't did, I, did leaving I did my leave insert. I did my leave Sir. And then I went to Kevin Street. It was college. It's what, TDU now. Um, but I did my college. I became an electrician. I had to do my third level education and all that. Just, it just makes me look like a hell's angel on Wikipedia. So I leave it up.
0: Yeah, it makes you look like more of a badass. I think it's great. Yeah,
1: I'm not. No, no, I I told the line for quite a long time.
0: (laughs) But did you move to Zimbabwe?
1: Yes, I did that. (laughs) Yes. When I was 22, that actually did happen. Yeah, 22. And then I, oh my God. Yeah, no, that was, that was insane. Yeah, I'd never been on a plane. My first time on a plane was going to Zimbabwe. Um, and the first, I mean, you can imagine the culture shock from a bloke from kind of Sheriff Street or North Wall getting on a plane um, and uh, being handed a Land Rover and a, a 1911 nine millimeter gun um, uh, uh, and, and driving around the bush for three years. That was kind of funny. Um, yeah, so I broke my, mother heart, my mother's heart. Within three weeks, I got married, got on a plane, left her. Three and a half years, I did. I did a disgraceful thing to my mama. I left. I. I. I abandoned her for um, for three and a half years. Yeah, terrible thing to do to your ma.
0: So what happened then? Actually, no. Do you know? I'm going to ask your next question. That might lead in nicely. Moment when if you didn't laugh, you'd cry. Liam
1: Cunningham. Oh, I didn't laugh at that. Um, oh, if I didn't laugh, I cry. That's another. I. I did. La- I did laugh. Um, at, at this, it does seem a bit odd. My dad's God rest him, he's, he's dead now 20 years, I think this year, or, or 21, one of them. Uh, and he got lung cancer and we were given an an, est- an estimate by the oncologist that when he got diagnosed, they said, look, it's pretty vir- virulent what he has um, nine weeks. But of course, my dad being the stubborn bastard that he is, it, he, did, he held on for nine months. Um. And on one of those occasions, he was up with the beautiful people. If people out there have any money, St. Francis Hospice, which I know Brendan Gleeson does a lot of work for, St. Francis Hospice and Rohini are angels and gods on this earth. The dignity they give to people who are uh, close to death and in terrible uh, pain, um, to see the, the relief and the... Uh, the work that they do, I can never thank them enough for for, for looking after my dad in the last um, the the last weeks and months of his life. Uh, but one priest, he got I think he got the I think he got the last rights twice. He got one in in um, in Beaumont when he was in 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 there suffering from it, and then they moved him uh, to St Francis. And he got it in there. However, one day I'd taken I had I wasn't earning much money at the time. I I took essentially about eight months off work just to just so I was so afraid of being away working when when he passed away. Uh and there was uh so he used to pop in every every morning. Uh and I got there at ten o'clock one morning, walked around to his little booth, his little place, and he wasn't there. There was nobody in the bed. And he would pin he'd been really bad for a few uh, for for a few days beforehand and it was like touch and go here and there and I got to the bed and he wasn't there so of course you kind of go has he passed away is he gone It's blah 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 And uh, so I grabbed, grabbed the first person and and, and tried not to uh, shout where, where's my dad uh, but, but I did I, you know so where uh, where is he uh, dreading the answer and I said he's down in the canteen and I was wondering why would my Dead father be in the canteen. (laughs) You know these things, weird things go through your mind. Weird things go through your mind, Orion. So I walked down very tentative. I just heard canteen and I just kind of walked away without without an explanation. I was just kind of what? And I got myself down really quickly. And the doors where they open up, the, the first table was just inside the double doors. And I can tell my dad's back from anybody. And there was a robe, and he was hunched over. And I looked around, and he—he he was eating a big fry in the in the, t- in the And i, I roared at him. I said, "I did. I—I I, I think I effed and because 'cause he'd frightened the bejesus out of me." And I said, "What are you doing?" And he just looked at me like like I'm an idiot. He said, "I'm having my breakfast." And and I'm kind of, uh, uh, I said, "You're supposed to be—you weren't even conscious yet." He said, "Oh no, I, I was hungry. I woke up." Uh, so I kind of laughed at it. There's a sense of relief, but I should have been crying. I, you know, the, the emotional, anybody that's gone through this vile disease knows the emotional ups and downs of, uh, of, you know, and we all know about the taking a day at a time and all that sort of stuff, which you have to do. So every day is just a roller coaster. How is he today? How is he? Blah, blah, blah. Are we preparing? It's just horrific. It's horrific. But you get these odd moments where everybody's quiet in the room, and then the next day you, you're walking in and people are laughing, and it's it's the same person. And, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't wish it on anybody, uh, obviously, but uh, but I remember laughing at that. It's a, you know, there's a sense of relief, and then also you you always also want to give out to him because he's yeah. all right and he's been <laughs> putting you through this panic. Uh, I mean, you don't, and you're delighted he's oh. there, but you have these all these mixed emotions. Yeah. And,
0: and, and did he did he have much time after that then?
1: Uh, he went it it went down for, for a it went down for a while uh yeah. after i can't remember it, it it wasn't maybe a month maybe six weeks yeah it, it was kind of you got some energy and then it all just like seemed to fall out of his body and and then as, as it got as it went on he was you know they were god loved them there i think they were pumping him with morphine and all sorts of stuff to try and keep to try and keep the pain at bay and but we were all there with him and he was ne- he was never kind of on his own and and again referring back to the staff they're just they're gods and goddesses up there. They're just, it's, it's just, it's beyond, way, way beyond money. It's just beautiful humanity and giving people dignity. It's a wonderful, wonderful resource to have.
0: And will you forever be happy that you took that time off to spend
1: with him? Oh, I'm delighted. Uh, listen, I, I it, you know, God, God love the amount of people who, you know, who are abroad, and, you know, by either their choice or not their choice, you get the dreaded phone call. Um, and you do, you rush immediately you will say, I I remember being in China uh, I was making a movie in China and I got a phone call from my wife saying my son was about to go in for an emergency uh, uh, appendectomy so he was going under the knife and I was with my daughter, I brought my my daughter over Uh, he was 14 at the time so my son was 10 uh, and I'm off making a movie, enjoying myself, you know, and getting a phone call. And the first thing went through my mind. My daughter at the time had to talk me down. Uh, I was out and about. We were out for a walk around. I think it was Shanghai. It was somewhere anyway. And uh, I'm feeling like a complete selfish bastard because I was indulging myself with my passion, my love and making movies, which is not the most essential thing people can do on the planet. It's not, as I like to say, it's not cardiothoracic surgery. Uh, and, um, and feeling incredibly selfish and incredibly guilty uh, that I was off indulging myself, even though it pays the bills in the house, you still feel like I'm not around for my, for my boy just to hold his hand and whatever. And there, was no, and there was no way I could even hop on a plane, even if I could persuade the producers to let me, to let me come home. I just w- I wouldn't have been there in time. They were rushing him in, he, you know, as an emergency, uh, inflamed, badly inflamed. But your ten-year-old child uh, going under the knife, and you're not even on the same continent. Um, that's 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 unpleasant.
0: Would that be your no laughing matter moment, or do you have another one?
1: No laughing matter. No, that'd be it. I'd say yeah, that'd be it. That'd be it. Yeah, no laughing matter. Yeah, that's fair. Was no laughing matter.
0: Is he, is, so, he, is he the son that does the gym with you?
1: Yeah, yeah. Big, big <laughs> bastard. she the size of now.
0: Oh, my God. I swear he, to God, because as I said to you, I barely go. So I went one day and then I was back in about four months yeah. later. He was a
1: tank. Yeah, he is a tank. And he used to be a big boy. He was a big curvy boy. And he went in. Paul's knocked the crap out of him. He's like, he's like a madman now. He's overtaken me and I was gone for a while. Liam came in. I used to delight in seeing my son almost retch for picking up the same weight I was. Now he's gone off into the distance. He's listening. he's doing more more weights. He's doing more reps. He's doing more of everything. And uh, yes, I hate the young.
0: Okay, Liam, the person that you always laugh with.
1: Well, strangely enough, after 30... What am I? How long am I entrenched with this woman? <laughs> uh, 1984. So that's, what, 37 years I think I'm married. And by some... Gift from God, we still manage to laugh every day. I mean, listen, occasionally I have to duck plates and classes and various stuff, uh-huh. but there's, but there's, a, and probably deservedly so. But I do manage to laugh, and especially when the boys, when my kids are around, because the, lo- the lockdown, and I'm, again, I'm slightly guilty for this. Um, I, I haven't had to put up with what a lot of poor souls have had to put up with, with, you know, losing family. Um, and, and you know losing their jobs and their business and all, just horror uh, and even this morning I was driving back from town and I was doing a bit of shopping and I saw two gorgeous people one one uh, a guy um, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a like a sky blue suit and there was two or three people following them. and this glorious looking lady in a kind of oatmeal dress and carrying a bar- gorgeous bunch of flowers and they, they just got married stop they had about four or five people with them and they were just crossing from Merrion Square. And us and the drivers, uh, all the drivers in the traffic jam, we started hitting the horns. Oh. And I roared down the window as only a, an inner city boy going down. I roared down, go, Roger! Yes! <laughs> and they were laughing and smiling at us and all. And seeing these lovely people doing. Seeing, uh, seeing those gorgeous people. So anyway, back to the, the, the lockdown, I've been really lucky. Um, because I don't have kids in school. Yeah. I wasn't scourged like some of my friends who are mammies and just kind of going, I'm buying a rope. I'm killing myself. I'm not doing any more homeschooling. I hate my kids. I want them all dead. Um, um, and I haven't had to put up with that. My youngest is 20. So there's six of us in the, in the gaff here, in, in, including my... I have three kids, including my uh, daughter's fiance, He loves uh, And I've had them here. I've had them locked. They can't go anywhere. And I've got, <laughs> I've got my kids who, who are of the age where they're flying the nest. And they can't go anywhere. So I've, I've, I have viewed this lockdown, um, as 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 um, getting a year for my kids that I, I wasn't gonna, I shouldn't have had. Yeah. And we get on with each other. Now we give each other plenty of space. We don't want to be shouldering each other in the hall on the way to the toilet. I give out. I keep I keep thinking there's somebody living in the toilet because every time I go there, there's somebody in it. <laughs> and I said I need to find out who's living in the toilet because it's never free when I'm there. Um. So, the bathroom. Yeah. so
0: is laughter then the key to a relationship that lasts or what else, is, what are the other keys? And also, like when it comes to a job like yours, you know, you mentioned earlier on where you're coming and going, there's a lot of uncertainty. Yeah. Like how do you keep it together?
1: Well, you have to laugh at it. If you start taking stuff like that seriously, you'll never get through life. You'll throw yourself off the top of a building. You can't take it seriously. Uh, you just have to kind of get on with it i enjoy another thing that worried me my son only asked me this morning or somebody was asked this morning um, did you do you really miss being more because it looks like i might be working the gym and i said i'm slightly concerned because i thought when the lockdown happened i went i'm gonna go mad in the house from not working and i very I, I i don't care i just uh, listen i don't i have i'm very far from having retirement money i don't know i live very simply on just you know I live in an, I live in the same house I've been in for thirty odd years, uh, and thank God I didn't get a big mortgage and try to extricate myself and move over to the enemy, in which I mean Dublin Four. <laughs> um, I could I could have probably qualified for a nice mortgage over there, but then I would have had to pay it off every month. So I've kept things very simple. So I, I managed to have an, enough. Uh, uh, if I didn't go mad, that I could it could get me through. Um, so, so to have to, anyway, to have the kids here has been just glorious. Because you know, my youngest son is a chef, and we I enjoy cooking, and we do all that. My other son's a gamer. My my daughter and her fiance they're they're working from home. We made this this room is my future son-in-law's sort of studio. He does, he lectures at DTU and Trinity College, and my daughter lecture has been lecturing a uh, video game designer, and she lectured she has been lecturing at Trinity as well, and it's very difficult for them working from home and doing Zoom lectures and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I've I've, I've I've got away with it. I've been lucky. Really lucky.
0: I have to ask you about Game of Thrones and um,
1: What? i never heard of it.
0: <laughs> just I was just thinking about it earlier like obviously because I was you know reading up on you or whatever. It's just it's one of these shows that because like, I never, I, I actually, I, I watched maybe two seasons and I, I feel, yeah. I kind of feel too thick to keep up with it, to be honest. All, the di- <laughs> all the different- It's because
1: you're trying to do something else while you're watching it. You have to sit down, turn the phone off, stop looking at your notifications, put it away, throw your phone down the toilets, and then sit down and watch the bloody thing. I know brilliant. it's so
0: bad. It's so bad, and they sc- I know it's brilliant, but I'm there scrolling, and then I. F- I feel like if I don't fully understand, then I give up. But anyway,
1: yeah,
0: like, it, it like the the enormity of it, like, could you ever have anticipated how big an impact it would have on your career, your life, like being spotted? Not obviously not like it's not like it's worldwide fame.
1: Oh, There's nowhere you could go. There's no, nowhere. We were filming in Spain. The fans broke into the hotel and were running around the corridor banging on doors trying to get to us. We had to fly additional security out. I was trying to buy, as we call them on the north side, a pair of jocks in <laughs> uh, in in uh, Bilbao. And I remember walking out, uh, trying to walk out the door and the security jumping up. It was an uh, ex-cop from Northern Ireland, Steve. Steve. Uh, uh lovely guy, and I was walking out the door, and he jumps up and goes, "Where are you going?" I said, "It's not the with you I'm going out to the shopping." I come with you?" I said, "You're not coming with me." He said, "Liam, I have to come with you." <laughs> I said, "And I said, Steve, I'm going across the road to buy underwear. I do not want security." What? Well, what? Well, he said, "Look, I'll just come. I'll come with you." And I went over, and I was in, I was in HM <laughs> fifty feet across the road, and I'm up uh, uh, perusing my trunks. And I look around and Steve is standing with his arms open wide as if he's on the, on the cross. And there's 30 people trying to get around him while I'm trying to buy a pair of underwear. Oh, my. Unbelievable. God. Spain was nuts. I've had to run, I, it, here's the bizarre thing. When you have to run out of bars in countries you've never been in before.
0: Yeah. I know you kind of touched on the on, on the Tommy Tiernan show, talking about like, mm. do you reckon there's probably nowhere you would have as much peace as you do as living in Dublin?
1: Yeah, they don't give a shite here. It's great. But, uh, I, I do like the healthy begrudging. Uh, you know, I think there's a philosophy in, in Dublin, uh, probably in all of Ireland, that if you've done well, you've either robbed someone, you've bought a lottery ticket and got lucky. Uh, or, or something happened by mistake. They don't assume anything was earned. You were just in the right right place at the right time. Nobody's competent enough to be successful. You're just, you're jammy and you got luck. <laughs> uh, and in a sense, they're right.
0: <laughs> yeah, he must in have known sense. someone. He must have known someone that got him yeah. in.
1: Yeah, he must have known. He's got that job. <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. Liam Cunningham, a time where you had the last
1: laugh. Oh, the last laugh. Hold on. Oh, uh. Uh, I remember I, I did a movie called Hunger uh, ages ago by Bobby Sands which kind of we did very well in town with and we had a London premiere there's only a few of us in it Steve McQueen's first film but, it, but it, it, when it was coming to London it kind of had a, already had a pretty big reputation because it had done well in, in, in the Cannes Film Festival uh, and I remember outside with uh, a, a, a young lady who was interviewing me as we did the, you know, the whatever you call it, the red carpet thing before you went. Yeah. Uh, and um, and uh, she was interviewing me, delightful, and said, "Oh, you know, congratulations for doing so well." I said, oh, "Thanks very much." And uh, what was it like working with Steve McQueen? I said it was all wonderful, pretty standard questions, and and then she said, uh, I, I, "I really love the film. Did you have much problem losing all the weight?" in the movie stop so for them that don't haven't watched for your delightful listeners uh, Michael Fassbender played Bobby Sands who had to lose a load of weight for you know towards the end of the movie for obvious reasons mm. uh, and I play the priest uh, so I didn't have to lose an ounce so this woman who loved my performance in, in Hunger <laughs> thought I was Michael Fassbender <laughs> So I just went. I think you're talking about Michael, and she was really, really embarrassed. God love her, <gasps> and I just laughed. And she also she had lots of her press colleagues around her who were listening to the question, and they just all looked at her like, <laughs> you know, I, I pity, I pity the first, the poor girl.
0: You could be mistaken for a lot worse people. I mean, that's that's pretty good.
1: I'm not, I'm not, I'm not complaining. Yeah, but it was my artistic side of me that was hurt.
0: I hear you. I hear you. Okay, Liam. If laughter wasn't yes. the best medicine, what would be?
1: It's, it's it's many bottles of red at the same time of the same evening. Uh, oh, alcohol is great. I do like an old social lubricant. Um, <laughs> laughter wasn't the best medicine. What would be? Um, contentment, I think, is you know we we chase. I don't. I think every. I'm not foolish enough to chase happiness. You know, I don't want to be happy. Happy is transient, and as the fellow said, you don't know you're happy unless you've been sad. But contentment, it's kind of when things are kind of okay and, you know, you're not riddled with guilt about having, you know, done someone over and shouldn't have and all that sort of stuff. Um, And it's nobody's perfect. We all make mistakes and trip up and make stupid decisions and in moments of anger hurting people, let's try and square things off and clearing your conscience as much as you can and get into a state of contentment because then you leave yourself open for happy. So I suppose, I suppose it's that but creating the playing field for happiness would be contentment, wouldn't it?
0: Love it. I'm going to steal I must that. write that down. Yeah, like, Jesus,
1: Liam, you're a poet. A
0: poet. I'm going to steal it and trademark it before you can. Do, do. <laughs> okay, are you ready for a quick fire round, Liam?
1: Oh, Jesus, go on.
0: Okay. The actor that always makes you laugh.
1: Well, on screen, I was thinking about this. I do love a Will ferdel. I like Will Ferrell. I think he's incredibly clever. Yeah. Uh, Talladega Nights. I think he's magnificent yeah. uh, Elf. We have Elf every year, with, without a doubt. Um, uh, Anchorman. All that sort of stuff. He's incredibly funny and incredibly clever. Mark Cowbell. the best, one of the best, the best sketches that SNL has ever done. That's yeah, one of the few funny sketches that SNL have ever done. <laughs> uh, but the, but the Cowbell one is particularly brilliant with Christopher Walken uh, and Jim Carrey. I I adore watching Jim Carrey. Uh, again, Christmas time, I always watch The Grinch. Ace Ventura, I mean, the audacity. I mean, people, I don't think people realise how, how, how good, I mean, he's popular, but people don't realise how good he is. If you think, I mean, the mantra for film is keep it small, right? You're not doing a theatrical performance. You're not throwing it out there and using your entire body and all. Jim Carrey does on film what you wouldn't be allowed to do at theatre. It's so big, the yeah. actor. And to be able to, do that on screen and uh, he's a genius he's a, you know he's up there with Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin I think he's he's legendarily funny he's brilliant genius so quick thinking uh, he's uh, he's um, he's an extraordinary talent
0: that wasn't a very quick fire round type of answer but it's okay we'll oh sorry, sorry 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 <laughs> you got me on a roll that's why uh, okay the actress you always laugh at
1: uh, Laugh, laugh laugh uh, uh, the, the red woman in Game of Thrones is a Dutch actress called Carice van Ouden. And before we did Game of Thrones, we did a movie in in, in uh, South Africa, a very depressing movie about a very tragic uh, poetess, a uh, real woman, um, Nelson Mandela's favourite poet, and she was very tragic. And I adore her work. She is magnificent. She's, anybody who watched Game of Thrones will see how good of an actress this actor that this woman is. Um, but I give her a terrible slag, and I can't help it. I slag the. I, I love working with her. I love working with her. She roars and gives out to me, and blah blah blah. <laughs> and I I love making her laugh. And and uh, and she's very. Uh, and I mean this in the best sense. She's like a racehorse. In other words, you know, there. Sometimes the artist is kind of um, mercurial and flippy, and and yeah. you know. But I don't mean difficult. Bad. She's just she's just, she's just an artist. She can devour a camera. You could She's just so good to watch on, on screen. She's brilliant.
0: Okay, the movie that makes you laugh out loud.
1: Uh, Tommy Boy. I watched it again. Do you ever watch Tommy Boy? No. Oh, Tommy Boy is a work. Chris Farley, David Spade, but he's done all he's done all sorts of stuff. And I just again, he's another one of these. Uh, physical comedians—that's on that—that uh, that was making wonderful, wonderful stuff, and is incredibly funny. Um, and and I miss him hugely. And, and just uh, t- as soon as he shows up, he's just got a face that you just—you just have to laugh. At. He's, he's immediately incredibly funny. that's actor wise yeah.
0: Okay, the comedian that always makes you laugh at me?
1: i have two of those: uh, Dave Chappelle and Will Will Bor. Uh, or Wilfred give him his full title and they're two they they both have Netflix specials and all that sort of stuff Chappelle basically uh, and they're very politically incorrect thank God (laughs) Uh, and they upset a lot of people Uh, and basically my philosophy is if you don't find either of those funny we can never be friends Okay. I just basically they're they're just remarkable and they they put their finger on the pulse of a lot of a lot of um, current affairs and stuff, and and point out which is the job of the of the superior comedian to point out the ridiculousness of how we live, yeah, uh, and the overreaching of of stuff that is in essence very good, but has been you know taken a little too far. So yeah. Wilbur Wilbur and Dave Chappelle are, are gods in the in the. Uh, uh, comedic world
0: and finally Liam Cunningham your yes. best or worst joke
1: you know tell me this uh, Joe Elliot from uh, Def Leppard it's his favourite joke I bumped into what I do a few years ago and I've been telling everybody that'll list. it's his favourite joke and is mine as well and he's a musician so it's apt for him so the here's the question um, how do you turn a duck into a soul singer go on Put it in the microwave until it's Bill Withers.
0: <laughs> oh God!
1: That's Good so... night, everyone. <laughs> now get me coat. I think that's a work of genius, that joke, You're and, have... and, and and eminently displays how beautiful the English language is.
0: You're gonna have the vegetarians and vegans after you, Liam. They're gonna. To start... hell with them. They're gonna start trolling you on Twitter.
1: I don't care. <laughs> Bring it on.
0: Oh my God, Liam Cunningham. I just, I don't know what I what I presumed. I just feel like you're a real rock star. And I was like, he's not gonna have read the questions. He's just gonna, he's just gonna do it. I'll do me
1: research if I'm asked. <laughs> if I'm beaten into it. You can blame Olive on that. Olive beat me.
0: Liam Cunningham, thank you so much for sharing the last of your life.
1: No bother Doreen. nice talking to you. We haven't had a chance to have a chat and it's been a delight.
0: I'll catch you in the gym. I promise I'll be committed once it's open. <laughs>
1: don't get near me I might be sweaty
0: (laughs) (laughs) thank you for listening to the last of your life podcast with Liam Cunningham I hope you enjoyed it it's been five months since we recorded that we did that in the depths of lockdown feels like only yesterday but also a lifetime ago in many ways I'm very much looking forward to seeing Liam in the gym soon and to be able to say hey it's me (laughs) Doreen We are two-thirds of the way through this season, so if you've yet to like, subscribe, rate or review, please do those things. It really means a lot to me. You can tweet me at Theron or DM me on Instagram at Theron either and let me know what you think. All types of feedback are very much welcome. Guest booker this season is Olive Esler and this podcast is recorded with Collaborative Studios. This season of the Last of Your Life podcast is brought to you by TK Maxx. Everyone deserves big wins at small prices from TK Maxx.